Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 3.18 to 4.7. The word of God speaks to us. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in, his, in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise and that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring the light and the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. All right, friends, have a seat. Hey, good morning. Hey, uh, if, uh, if we have not met yet, uh, I'm Brandon. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church and uh, really excited to dig into this passage uh, with you. So if you've got a Bible or an app, you can go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians 3.18, and uh, that's where we'll be kind of camping out today. Uh, well, we had a, a snowstorm, uh, I want to say it was eight years ago, um, so I will. Um, and uh, so if you're from Oklahoma you know, like a, when we say snowstorm, there's very little snow that's ever involved, right? Like we're talking about an ice snow thing that happens and, we're, you know, this is a situation where it's just really, really cold outside. It's really dangerous to do anything outdoors. Like you can't even walk without slipping kind of a thing. And we had a situation like this about eight years ago and um, it was uh, pretty quickly called early in the day, hey, work from home if you can, like we're going to do remote, like before remote is cool. Um, and so we did it and, and everybody was going to stay home except um, I had a 1994 Jeep Wrangler that had four wheel drive. And so I was like, you know what? 
I'm going to go for it. And, uh, and so I did. And the whole time I'm on my way in, nobody on the roads. And I'm just thinking like, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a super efficient day. I'm going to get so much done. It's going to be quiet in the office. And uh, it absolutely was. Delivered on that promise. And I was having an incredible day. And uh, about mid-afternoon, I hear a knock at our front door. And I go, and there's a man there that I've never seen before. And uh, so I let him in out of the cold, and he comes in. I just say, hey, you know, can I help you, that kind of thing. And uh, he goes, yeah, I just, uh, I really need some help starting my car. And so, of course, I'm like, yeah, who wants to be stranded um, on a day like this? And so I'm like, yeah, let me grab my coat or whatever. Uh, where, where's your car? Um, and he just kind of points outside. He's like, that way. Um, and uh, so I'm like, you know, can you be more specific? And, uh, you know, I look outside, and it's like, my Jeep is the only car in the parking lot. No cars on the road. No cars at the, the neighboring businesses anywhere. He's just like, yeah, it's out there. And um, so I'm like, could you help me out? I don't see it. Is it down the road? Like, how far are we talking? And he goes, like, he's frustrated with me. And he goes, it's right there, man. It's that black Jeep right there in the middle of the parking lot. And which I'm like, this is a weird joke. Like, it's weird that this guy's like a traveling joke maker just popping into random churches like, hey, I'm going to, but that was not it. I could quickly see as I kind of, you know, uh, pushed back uh, that he was serious. And so I was like, well, the problem is I think that's not your Jeep because it's mine. (laughs) It's my Jeep. And, um, And he just like, he immediately is like, Wow, that is crazy news. And um, he's looking at me, and I realize, I realize, like, no, this guy's not kidding. Um, this isn't a weird joke. Uh, he really believes himself, and um, he is so convinced that it's his Jeep. And he's, like, looking, he's, like, doing this number. And um, finally, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm starting to have doubts. Like, have I been driving this guy's Jeep for the past several years? And um, so finally I reach in my pocket and I pull out the keys and I'm like, you know, we both look and we're both like, well, yeah, that kind of settles things. So that, that helped us sort out that conundrum. Um, and then the next thing that happened is he offered me drugs and everything made sense after that. Um, that's a weird story. Um, and, uh, and I like to share a weird story every now and then, but that is also, that is also for us today. Um, an example of somebody who had deceived themselves, clearly, right? This is somebody who had, had deceived himself and was trying to deceive me and almost did, actually, to my shame. Um, this is someone who had deceived himself and who actually needed to be checked and confronted by reality, right? And as we drop into this passage today, as we read just a moment ago, this is actually what Paul is doing for the Corinthian church, and it's what Paul is doing for us today as well. As we look at this text, it's really interesting the way Paul seems to be framing the entire conversation around this exhortation, not just an exhortation to not be deceived, right? There's a lot of crazy ideas swirling around out there. Don't be deceived by those things. But Paul is saying, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. Paul is warning us about self-deception, right? And, And this is This is an especially salient warning for those of us in this room who show up week in and week out. We're here on Sundays. We regularly come and we sit underneath the preaching of the word. We hear about who God is and what he's done. We sing these things that we say are truths about God. But then there are six days between Sundays, right? And what happens for those six days is that we're offered alternative facts about God, who he says he is and what he does and what he's like. We're bombarded 
with competing visions about what the good life is and where it can be found during those six days. We're told that who we follow or who we vote for or who we sleep with, those are the things that ultimately define us as people. We're told that what happens in this really life is ultimate, and that's the, it's the thing that really, really matters. So YOLO, you do you, live your best life now, all of those things. And then after six days of that, we're here again, right? We're back here. And if we're not careful, it can start to feel like on Sundays, we're being offered just another perspective, right? Just another ideology, just another option, and it can start to feel like here we are on the buffet line of life, and the invitation is just like, hey, pick and choose what seems good to you, right? What do you like? Nobody's going to force it down your throat. You pick what you like, and maybe you're here today, and you think, hey, I'm, I'm actually wise enough to pile my plate high with things that are good and true, all the right things. Like maybe you're here and you want to celebrate actually how open-minded you are, right? Because you'll give ear and you'll add some things that are outside of the box and you'll say, hey, I'm willing to try a lot of new things, right? I'm willing to put a lot of things on this plate. Aren't I so open-minded? Isn't that such a good thing? And yet Paul wants to move towards us today like a good pastor and he wants to lovingly confront us with reality And he wants to remind us not to deceive ourselves. There is truth, right? There is truth. But do not be deceived. And as we dig into this text, this is a church that has deceived itself by buying into worldly wisdom. And this wisdom has caused divisions in their unity. We've seen this for weeks and weeks. It's caused divisions in their unity. It's caused unhealthy relationships with their leaders. And what we're going to see today is that Paul's going to do a couple of things. One thing he's going to do is he's going to call out all the ways that they have deceived themselves and are deceiving themselves, right? So he's going to call it out, but then he's also going to invite them back into ultimate reality. He's going to invite them back into reality. So, Three exhortations that Paul's going to give us that I want to look at today. The first one is this. Let the worldly wise become fools for God. This is Paul's encouragement. Let the worldly wise become fools for God. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So we're stepping into this passage, and Paul is wrapping up the the things that he's been saying for the past few weeks. He's wrapping up this section where he's talked about divisions in this church. He's talked a lot about uh, church leadership, as we saw last week. And and right here, interestingly, he's going to circle back, and he's going to use some of the very same language that he used in the beginning, um, all the way back in chapter 1. So 1 Corinthians 1.18, as a reminder, Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, the wisdom of uh, God is foolish to the world, right? Have you realized this? Right? This is, this is the, the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom is foolish. It's outdated. It's restrictive. It's unfair. It's silly. 
But here, what Paul's going to do is he can come back to that same language, only this time he flips it. Chapter 3, verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but the wisdom of this world is folly to God. Here's what Paul is saying. Do not deceive yourself. The wisdom of man cannot stop the anxiety that we feel inside of us. The wisdom of man cannot bring our hearts to peace. The strength of man cannot unlock the good life. It can't. The effort of man can't get you into God's graces. And even even as I say some of these things, maybe you're bristling against them and you're saying like, hey, I actually disagree. Here I am. And I'm at a place in my life where I, you know, I feel really proud of where I'm at. And I've gotten here because of my hard work, because of my effort, because of the choices that I've made, because I'm strong, because I have a good work ethic. I have these achievements. They're mine. I would just say two things in response. One, Paul actually anticipates that sentiment of pride and replies to it directly in chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? What were you saying again? Your hard work, your wisdom, your intellect, your strength. What again did you have that you did not receive? Oh, that's right. Nothing. It all came from God. It was all a gift. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Where do you think you got anything that you have to offer in your life? Anything that you've been able to use for, to have a positive impact on your life? All of your gifting, all of your skill, all of your know-how, it all comes from God. The second thing I would just remind you of today is this. All man-centered wisdom in this world has a shelf life. All of it. I, I was reminded this week of the, um, the story that Jesus shares in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And even if this is your first time in church, you're probably familiar with this, this story. And uh, just, to, just to summarize, this son comes to his father one day, and um, the conversation essentially goes like this. Dad, I've lived under your wisdom for long enough. And now what I'd like to do is I would like to get out from under your wisdom and your rules and your household, and I would like to do things the way I want to do things, right? Because I have my own wisdom that I want to walk in. I have some things of my own that I would like to do. I would like to chase the good life, and I think I know better than you, Dad, how to get there. And so the story goes that he um, takes his inheritance, he squanders everything that he has on reckless living. And he would say, well, I'm just pursuing the good life. I'm just following my own wisdom to its natural end. And Jesus tells us what that natural end is. We find him in this story, a servant actually feeding the pigs and he's starving. And so he's on his hands and knees feeding himself from the pig trough. So we have this young man that rejects his father's wisdom and pursues worldly wisdom only to find that all man-centered wisdom has a shelf life. It will run out. Maybe it feels like it's working for a little while. Maybe things for you even today, maybe it seems like your life plan is going according to plan. Hey, it will run out. Your wisdom has a shelf life. And so what do we do with this? Well, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3.18, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, 
Let him become a fool that he may become wise. So what does that mean? What does it mean for us to become a fool in order to become wise? Well, here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Hey, instead of looking to yourself, instead of looking at your own wisdom, instead of looking at the, what the world tells you to be, you need to actually look away from all that. Everything that the world says, you need to be like this, you need to do this, you need to have this in order to be successful, in order to get ahead, in order to be superior or advanced, you need to look away from all of those things. You need to look away from the mantras of, I'm enough, I have what it takes, I can do this on my own. We need to forsake the pride of the world that says, I can figure things out, I am capable enough to do this. To become a fool is to look at the wisdom of God in a crucified Christ, and to declare that in him alone I find my identity. In Christ alone I find my worth. In Christ alone I find my covering and my way in the world. To become a fool is not to become foolish. This is not an invitation to go buy goofy Christian t-shirts or anything like that. It is to look upon and to give your allegiance to what the Jews saw as a scandal what the Greeks looked at and saw as foolish, what Rome looked at and saw as weak, and what our world calls antiquated, outdated, restrictive, oppressive. It is to give your yes to Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, the foundation of the church. So again, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing, sounds a lot like foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? What sounds like foolishness to the world is good news to us. Paul is the perfect example of this, what it is to become a fool in the eyes of the world and yet be found wise in the eyes of God. You think about Paul this, this is a man who had an amazing pedigree, was well-educated, well-thought-of, and yet, this is what he writes to the church in uh, Philippi, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ, right? What he's saying is, hey, it's not that my pedigree was bad. It's not that, you know, all of my accomplishments are now negated and that my story is obsolete. But what he is saying is, hey, real Christianity is one where even the good stuff is released if it means I get more of Jesus and I get to be more deeply formed and transformed by him and the wisdom of God and his cross and rising. So Paul's first exhortation is for the worldly wise to become fools for God that we may be truly wise. And the second exhortation comes back to how this wisdom applies to this church's division over church leaders. So the second exhortation we get from Paul is to regard your leaders as servants and stewards instead of heroes and heels. And if you were as into pro wrestling as I was in the 90s, you get that reference, right? Like growing up, I love pro wrestling. Back when it was WWF, you know, whatever you think about me in this moment, it's okay. We're going to get to how you should see your leaders here in just a bit. But, uh, but me and my friends, we would often get together. We would watch the pay-per-view matches. We would, you know, we were all in. 
and we often divided over our favorite wrestlers, right? Like I was, I liked the good guys. I liked the heroes. Um, and I had friends who really liked the heels or the villains. And we would often divide over those things. And not just like in a cute, you know, silly way, like in a real way where it was like, we're not going to talk to each other for a few days because we're mad about wrestling. It was a fake sport. Um, and as silly as that is, in a similar way, since early in chapter 1, Paul has been dealing with this church and the way that this church has been splitting over giving their allegiance to certain leaders over others, right? And then last week, what we started to see in chapter 3, Paul begins to move from the, the confrontation and starts to go towards correction, First uh, Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, when we looked at this last week, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so Paul is starting to give a more positive vision of how pastors and leaders should be seen. And, and here at the beginning of chapter 4, he's bringing it full circle hey, here's here's the vision that I want you to have for the church and how you should treat your leaders. So uh, chapter four, verse one, he says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. This is how God wants the church to view its leaders. Notice, he doesn't say, regard your leaders as celebrities and follow them on Twitter, okay? He's not saying, uh, you know, Follow your pastor with the best personality or your favorite personality and pick one and like fall in line behind them. They're not to be uh, professionals or performers for your enjoyment. There are two words that are given here that are meant to shape how we, the church, view our leaders and how leaders should understand themselves. And those two words are servants and stewards. Servants and stewards. David Pryor helps make a lot of sense of this. He says, being man-centered, the Corinthians were giving their allegiance to men, men of God, but still only men. That was the way the world behaved and taught and still does. Whenever the church follows big names and becomes man-centered, it is aping the world. No, says Paul, do not boast of men. You are not servants of such people. They are your servants. They are your servants. Here's the big picture. The church should not be giving itself to any man. There's a way that we can have honor and esteem for leaders who are faithful, for leaders who have high character, but allegiance is entirely a a different issue. The only allegiance worthy of your time and mine is to the one that the servants are serving, right? Let me say that again. The only allegiance worthy of our time is to the one that the servants are serving. So we regard our leaders as servants. Leaders are strictly given to the master's business, his authority, his game plan. In addition to that, we regard our leaders as stewards, and and we've We've, uh, we've talked about this a bit lately, but this word stewards is the Greek word for housekeeper. 
And so what all this means is that a steward is not measured by their personality or their charisma or their social media following. A steward doesn't get to say or teach whatever they want to say and teach. A steward doesn't get to lead in whatever direction they want to lead. A steward is measured solely by their faithfulness to their master. And this is why he says in verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is what you're looking for in your pastors and in your leaders, faithfulness. Now what comes next in verses 3 through 5 is still in the same flow of thought, especially related to the issues that have been happening in their divisions over these leaders. But it's also uh, helpful to us not only in how we relate to our leaders, but also in understanding ourselves in the rat race of winning the approval of others. So verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul's saying that because of what it is to be a servant of God and a steward of God's truth, he's saying, hey, it matters very little to me. It is small potatoes how you see me and how you want to judge me. It doesn't matter that much to me if you want to take my side on issues or not. It's okay if I'm not your favorite pastor or leader. Paul's saying a person's large following doesn't necessarily mean they've been found faithful. And a person's small following or a person's rejection as a leader isn't necessarily an indication that they've been judged unworthy um, or unfaithful. What matters is whether or not they are in alignment with the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, crucified and risen from the dead. This is why he says, I don't even judge myself, as though my verdict really held any weight at all. Verse 4 he says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. This isn't Paul trying to skirt accountability. He's not saying only God judges me. You guys leave me alone. Right? What he is saying is that I am no more justified by my own good opinions of myself than I am by your opinions of me. God alone is the judge, and he does that by the cross of his son, and he will do that at the final judgment. So here's the exhortation. Stop dividing over favorite preachers. Stop, stop judging them based on platform, based on accolades and prestige, as though attaching yourself to one over the other really makes anything of you at all. God is the judge, not you, and a pastor's job is faithfulness to God, not winning your approval. You may have a favorite pastor, you may have a favorite author or podcaster, but you need to know that they can't make anything of you. Only Jesus can do that. So faithful leaders aren't to be pitted against one another as if this were a competition, um, but faithful leaders are a gift of God to the church they're here for your benefit as they serve and steward. And to the extent that you still hear that and you feel anxious because you're like, man, I feel tension because I want to know like what's in their heart and are they faithful because they seem kind of faithful, but like what if they're not? Paul goes there, verse five. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do you notice who Paul is talking about? 
Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and who will disclose the purposes of the heart? It's not you, okay? It's not you. So let the pressure roll off. Like you don't have to do God's job for him. He's got it. He's not inept. This is God's job. There will come a day when he will expose truth from fraud, right? God can take care of this. And so the exhortations Paul gives, let the worldly wise become fools for God. Regard your leaders as servants and stewards. And then thirdly, reject the lie of Ricky Bobby. (laughs) Amen. Reject the lie of Ricky Bobby, which of course is a reference to the 2006 classic Talladega Nights. And uh, what we see in the life of young Ricky Bobby is that he is shaped and formed by this mantra. You know what? If you ain't first, you're last. It's very deep philosophical stuff here. If you ain't first, you're last. And the sentiment, of course, is this. If you don't finish in first place, you have failed, right? You've failed. You've wasted your life. You're a nobody, right? That's the, that's the message, very heartwarming and uplifting. But here we are, and we live inside of a culture that, that believes this, that they, they define what first place is in just a million different ways, don't they? First place is having a lot of followers. First place is climbing the corporate ladder. First place is having a lot of people who look to you and answer to you, and you have control over their fate, right? And a million other things. And yet, so far, Paul has instructed the church to become fools in the eyes of the world, to become fools in the eyes of the world. And he's told the church to think of himself and their pastors as servants and stewards. So this doesn't sound like a very first place conversation. The language Paul is using, like become a fool, become a servant, become a steward. For a culture like theirs and a culture like ours that values status and platform and prestige, right? Being in charge of things, like these these titles, fool, servant, steward, these do not seem like titles worth having. These seems like the things that our instinct tell us, hey, We need to rise above these things. Like, you're a fool. That's not good. Get past this. Move on. You're a servant. You need to eventually be the master. You need to be the one who is in charge. And so how is it that Paul can tell us with such confidence to embrace these things? Well, we get the answer to that question right in the middle of everything that we've looked at today with this powerful assurance in chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Paul says, So let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. Like what he's been saying all along. Sometimes that's the wisdom that you bring to the table. Paul says, forsake it. Turn away from your own wisdom. Is it the picking the right leader, the right pastor, following the right guy or the right crowd? Paul's saying, no, don't boast in them either. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Here's what Paul is getting at. What a small thing it is to be a fool according to the world now. What a tiny, insignificant thing it is for us to take on the position of a servant right now when all things are yours in Christ. You belong to Jesus. Jesus is God's son. Here's the picture that Paul is painting. Hey, everything belongs to God. 
God the Father has given everything to Jesus as an inheritance. And Jesus, by his grace and because of the finished work on the cross and the empty tomb, has chosen to share everything with those who look to him. Whatever belongs to Jesus, he offers to us. He shares with us life. Life is a gift. The fact that anybody is in this room right now taking breath into your lungs and letting it out, the fact that we have a pulse, that is a gift. Forgiven of sin, adopted, loved by the Father, life is a gift. Even death, even death is a gift. Because of Jesus, death is no longer our enemy, but our servant that ushers us into the very presence of God. The present the future, Paul is saying nothing is withheld from you. He even throws in the whole world. Everything belongs to Jesus. He belongs to God, and he shared it all with you. Now, maybe you're, you're here today, and you say, wait, something doesn't check out. Because I'm here today, and I feel like I am barely hanging on. I don't feel like everything is mine. I don't feel like... Uh, like God is even on my side. Life, life has been one trial after another after another. And this is why Paul is such a good teacher for us. Paul is so driven by the future hope that has been purchased for him in the gospel that what is fixed for him in the future by the grace of God now shapes the way that he sees himself in the present. So maybe you're here today and you really do feel like I am just hanging by a thread. I am barely hanging on. Maybe today it does not seem like all things are yours. But it will only be this way a little while longer. We are closer to the great day than when we first believed. And on the great day, the first in this life will not have more than the last. You may have nothing today. You may be here hanging by a thread and completely empty-handed, but you need to know all things are yours in Christ. So what a small thing it is today to be seen as a fool or a servant in the eyes of the world. For the Christian, your security is not in achievement or status or position. Your security is in the wisdom of God in a crucified and resurrected Messiah. Romans 8 said that if he did not spare his son for me, how much more along with him will he also give me all things? Life, death, the present, the future, even the whole world. Most importantly, his love and his very presence. So friends, in a world that is full of divisions, that's full of power grabs and jockeying for position and clamoring for attention, don't be deceived. The way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is different. The first will be last. The last will be first. And this sounds like such foolishness to the world, but hey, that's okay. That's okay. Let the wise become a fool and let your life be lived as a servant to the living God for all things are already yours in Christ. You stand with me.